see us on the Facebook page. Yep, we're off. We're on the Facebook page. Just waiting for Andy. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Nick. There's been a, a few years I've been waiting for Andy. Yeah. Every that, show. He, I don't know if you remember the old uh, O.J. Simpson commercials where he used to be running through the airport. But um, that was what Andy used to be like. He'd become flying in, flying into the studio and acting like everything was totally fine. And we had like one second to go. So, yeah, I, that, I, that was unforgiving. WCCO was unforgiving because they had a schedule and that's what we did. We just posted that video on the, the Facebook page of your guys' last day on the radio. Oh, okay. and Andy was running there. Yeah, of course. That was a perfect one to depict it after 11 years. So, good. Well, let's just start with what's happening in the market until um, Andy gets on here. Absolutely. Found yeah. This, huh? Yeah, go ahead. Found this article about the, the foreclosures and all the programs that allowed people to push it back. Wanted to hear your thoughts on this. Well, I think the whole foreclosure uh, thing is uh, kind of a pipe dream that if people think that that's happening, um, I just don't see it happening because of what's happened in the marketplace. I mean, if anyone is in danger right now, uh, they could have their house sold pretty darn fast and, and quick, uh, even if it's in bad shape. I mean, if the if the thing needs repairs and it's been neglected and maintenance hasn't happened, I think they'll probably still have enough um, to do it unless they've been missing payments for years and years and years. And uh, there's mortgage companies that have that inventory on the back end. So I don't, yeah, I just... I don't know. They're they're talking about, um, you know, I think that two and a half million homeowners are uh, in a forbearance program. Um, I think that was one of those that was, hey, you never know. We don't know what's going to happen. Kind of like the PPP loans. We don't know what's going to happen. We better take advantage of this uh, and do a forbearance. I knew someone uh, that did it and they said, hey, I've got a rental property and the person's not able to pay me. Can you just let me not pay for six months? And like that, they gave it to them and they didn't have to pay. So I'm sure that all kind of plays into it here uh, when it comes into uh, the, the forbearance part is that people probably did it in, in case, not really that they had to do it. Good morning, Andy. What up, sunshine? <laughs> We're talking about little foreclosures. If we think yeah. it's going to happen and they're saying there's about two and a half million homes in forbearance right now. Yeah, it's a scam. I agree. That's what I just said, kind of. If, if you're in forbearance right now, you're choosing to do it for sure. Right. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly what we said. So, but otherwise, you know, we we're just kind of going through the market update and starting with yeah. that. And uh, everything's still shining out there. Uh, the sun is not shining today, but uh, the, the market sure is shining for sure. Yeah, yeah no, that, that is a, a for sure. Um, you know, we, we saw great traffic during the parade. Um, parade of Homes, of course, those of you that are joining in, the Twin Cities uh, metro area here has uh, every year, two times a year, they do a, a new home showcase for builders, and that's the Parade of Homes. Um, so you see everything from the entry-level um, housing, which there's very few of, all the way up to the multi-million dollar dream homes. And it's a, uh, it's a situation where, boy, I, I've never seen – that many buyers out there in, in droves 
where they're actually checkbook yeah. open, ready to write the check to deposit and let's get going. Just fatigued on the whole not having a plan, not knowing where to go. And even though new construction in some cases would stress people's, you know, um, comfort level a little bit on the, on the, we all get hung up on the purchase price, but the payments are so cheap with the interest rates being so low that it made it really an easier transition. So for right now, we're, we're seeing people coming in and writing offers on beautiful new houses and it, it's working great. And, um, you know, everybody's, everybody's pleased the, the challenge we're having is, is labor shortage again. Too many kids going to college and not a kids, enough kids going to tech school, man. I'll tell you what, you want to have a great job with a full pension and, you know, wonderful pay and, and have no college debt. Tell your kids to go to tech school right now, become electricians, plumbers, framers, um, you know, take a few business classes so you know how to operate and pay your taxes and, and get going because it is a gold mine right now for those that are in that industry. And as a young kid too, Andy, I mean, you can take advantage of that now and you can always go back to college, almost treat it like you're going to military. Um, you might really like it. And, uh, some of the people that uh, I know uh, that have the most money started out as plumbers and electricians uh, and HVAC people. Well, it's, it's timing, right? And then you've got the compounding factors of interest and money you put in the bank. When you start young and you make good money young and don't have debt, everything's working for you. Now, granted, you have to actually use your hands, right? You actually have to yeah. get up every morning, climb on those ladders and work hard. But the point of it is, is that I, I still look at this, this world that we're living in of everybody wants to touch a keyboard, not a hammer. Um, it, it's okay to touch a hammer. And I think there's great pride and being a craftsman, I think there's great pride and, you know, and, uh, um, you know, getting out there and doing your, your thing within the trades. Um, but anyway, I think, I think that'll be the reason why new construction can't keep up unless they can somehow figure out a way to, you know, robotize. They tried to do paneling and other things like that, but you can't get everybody to panelize. There's not a factory that can 3d print a house with electric and plumbing and whatever. Plus it's a fantasy that it'll be 25 times more expensive right now. And it would be, you know, I, I've seen it where they do with the concrete, you know, where they literally have a machine making like a 3D house out of concrete, but then there's no electric or plumbing in the house. So yeah. you basically build a concrete shed. That you, live in. you know, to kind of go on what's happened in the market, I had some interesting things happen. I've got three different developments listed. Um, one is sold out and another one was really close to being sold out. Then all of a sudden, all of the lots went on hold. It was like a wang bang, super quick. And what was happening is now uh, of the last five that went on hold, three have now come back. And what people are doing is they're hedging their bet. Hey, you know what? We're not going to find anything. Let's just make sure we get the lot because we can always then we'll build and give ourselves, you know, 30 days during that lot hold. And uh, kind of creepy, but I'll tell you, that's what's uh, happening right now as well. Yeah. So. Yep. No, I'm, I'm with you. I agree. I'm, I'm very interested in... We talked about the shortage with like lumber and um, certain things that are driving up prices. Doesn't that say a lot about inflation when things like that are harder to get? And what do you guys think about the whole inflation thing going on with the, well, the checks? I, I, I'll jump right in because this is just such a hot topic for me. This should have been my rant this week, but um, I, I, it's a scam, dude. Again, the, the, the trees didn't go away because COVID came around. They just stopped producing and they raised their prices and claim they can't get the trees out of the forest because COVID's there. And, and, oh, and there's import taxes and there's this. And it, I'll tell you what, I think it's just an opportunity for people in the marketplace, the, the big lumber suppliers that finally catch up for the last, you know, 15 years of struggling. And they're just putting it to the people because they can and people still buy it. We're fighting over the overpriced lumber right now. 
it's not even a matter of, you know, and, and they say they can only get it. They're, they're, they're dripping it to us and they keep raising the prices. I mean, your average new construction build that was 500,000 last year right now is probably 565,000 house only. Um, and that's all material. Totally. I concur. <laughs> so I got it. You guys jumped me right onto the treadmill at nine miles an hour there, you know, you'd be cranking. <laughs> We 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 started we started at eight a.m. <laughs> Go look at the thing. It's it's the first time question. first time we've ever done it. I think that's very very impressive. It's Anyways, for, uh, let's move to let's move to our practical value segment. Um, return on investment upgrades. We have nineteen examples. We chose the best five. First of all, I'd love to hear your guys's best um, upgrade return on investment. What do you think? I'll tell you what, mine's going to be, I mean, I, it's it's not going to be on that list, but I really believe, and I've said this uh, many times, and probably I've said it more so the last three, four years than I did before, but uh, is cleaning, cleaning, deep cleaning your house is, I think, one of the best investments that you can possibly do because people look for, I mean, what they're what they're looking for is things that they can't see. But what it does is that if you're if you're going in, you're looking at a house and you start looking in corners and you see cobwebs and you, you know, you see uh, dust and, you know, you see a little dirt and maybe it, it wasn't quite swept up. You start thinking about what's behind those walls. And when you do that, those are things you can't see. And then that gets people skeptical, skeptical. So I think uh, cleaning, cleaning to me is probably your best return, even if you're a totally outdated house, if it's clean. People are going to say, "Well, I can do something with this and give you more money." That was your your Rooney's rant the other week. You it really oh was cleaning. it? Yeah, yes, I, I'm into cleaning. Andy, well, Andy, what do you think about finishing your basement? How important is that? That's our first one here. Me, I, I, I'm living in a house right now with an unfinished basement because I don't see the return. Unless you need the space, um, I, I have a, a, a beautiful house here in Champlin. Um, I've got an 1,800 square foot unfinished basement. And I've walked down there a hundred times saying, all right, this is the year I'm going to do it. I don't need the space. And when I look at the house value with or without the basement finished, I mean, and, and I'm not, I'm not being, you know, trying to be silly here, but when you spend a hundred grand, which is kind of a normal hundred to 150,000 is what we're seeing right now for a basement of that size. And your house is worth about 40 or 50 grand more, or it's more desirable for somebody because it has the extra bathroom or bedroom in the basement for grandma and grandpa when they visit or the, you know, they're kids, but in, in reality, um, it, the return's just not there unless it's a smaller home, you know, now a smaller home where you have 900 square foot main floor, having that basement finished might make a significant difference on resaleability of that house and in function where a family can fit in there then versus, you know, if you've got three, 4,000 square feet above ground and bonus rooms and everything else already, you don't necessarily need that basement finished other than for, for choice. I think too, Andy, what happens like, in, in, let's use your house as an example. Um, if you were to go to sell that, you could yeah. almost look at having an unfinished basement as an advantage for someone to kind of make that part their own. You know, that your house is built in probably what, 2005, something in there, six, seven, whatever. Three. 2003, okay. Um, obviously you, you've updated it, but uh, someone to be able to come in and be able to kind of redo that basement in what they do. I, I've sold it like that a lot, but the other part is, is that if you don't have enough bedrooms, it might be advantageous to be able to get that extra bedroom. Yeah. <clears throat> like when you were talking about that small footprint, 
I mean, that yep. small footprint's probably got you two bedrooms. And if you get a third one, it totally switches it to another level. Absolutely. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yep. I yep. agree. How about opening up the floor plan? That's a big thing now because opening up um, it makes it appear that it's bigger. And uh, by big means money. The more money you can get, the better it is. And I tell you, builders fight with this all the time to try to get <clears throat> less square footage so it doesn't cost as much, but make it work better, um, uh, the space that they have. And, and you do that a lot with uh, walking uh, areas that you have to go walk in. Um, there's a lot of places that you know, you're, you're creating walkways due to furniture that you don't have to do it. And so sometimes it's it's flipping around where the TV actually ends up going. Um, <clears throat> so that creates a walkout. So let's just say you have a walkout basement. And typically, you know, the walkout basement, you have the fireplace on one wall. You'd have to walk behind uh, the couch to be able to go to the walkout. But why don't you throw the fireplace where... Uh, on that other wall and have the furniture facing that other space where that walkway is, you have to have a walkway to separate where the TV is going and the, and the couch is going, but you also have it. It's, it's a dual purpose. Now it goes right to the walkout level. So you had to get to the walkout level to the sliding glass door is what I'm saying, but you didn't have to use two ways in which to be able to get to it. Wish I would have had a picture. I could have explained that a little better. So, so, so to the, uh, the listeners. <laughs> I, I guess he's getting me back now. He's getting me back. No, I'm Take over, Dick. He's, he's being bad again. <laughs> yeah, but you know, you look at like the room behind me here, and, and this is a what we would call a great room. So great rooms um, encompass a lot of things. You can put your piano in the one corner. You can have your fireplace. You can also have your TV. Um, you have a gathering area where, you know, over here you can see the entryway, this way, entryway. You know, That's my example right there. Yeah, you got exactly. it. Here's the so walkway right in front of the fireplace. Yeah, it's open. It doesn't feel restrictive, but yet there's still definition with the, the pillars and the half walls. So there's ways that even like back in, in, my goodness, back in the 80s, my parents had a Rambler. And that was still when they were doing the family room in the back, the, the formal living room in the front. And we called it, you know, kind of jokingly, like a lot of comedians do, the no touch room. Because it was the white furniture and all the fancy stuff. And eventually my mom and dad got to the point of where like, we don't even use this room. What the heck is it for? And they opened up the wall and put even just a, a look through or pass through almost looked like it was, you know, four windows that would slide and then it opened it up. And now people sat out there during holiday parties because they could still be part of the conversation in the kitchen, for an example. And, and, and I think what we've realized over the years is that the heart of the home is, is the kitchen. And so the rooms that can function around that kitchen and have that visual with the kitchen keeps you connected with the people at your house. Now, what I also find interesting was as, as I've, you know, designed houses over the years, when I get to greater square footages where it's 3000 square feet or more above ground, um, that's when you get people saying, well, we both want our own individual offices and we want, you know, the, a dog cleaning room, or we want to have a, uh, uh, like the, I had one, there's no joke. A couple of years ago had a customer that wanted a bucket filling room, for cleaning the house, basically like a, a mop station and uh, hold all the, the tools to clean the house. And so, you know, as, as we get, you know, higher budgets, a lot of times that allows us to have more interesting tastes and, or, uh, you know, expensive tastes, as they say. And so anyway, practical doesn't come into play when you're usually, usually building a big home, but. This one was quite surprising when I read it. Um, 
replacing the garage door. Doesn't seem like do many people do that? Oh my gosh, they should be. I mean, if you if you look at the front of your house, the biggest curb appeal part usually is the garage. Um, and that's a, a big thing. And adding and updating garage doors is huge because it's not that expensive. I mean, there is some, there's some doors that are super expensive, but overall it's, um, and I, what does this say? Uh, motorized recouping about 95% of your costs. I would, I would say, I mean, as long as the other stuff is good, replacing a garage door could go a lot more than that. Um, we've had so much success in doing that and, and creating a totally different curb appeal uh, to that house. And sometimes when you do that, that's a differentiator. It differentiates your house from all the other ones that they're looking at, you For know? Sure. And, and then sometimes when you're in a market and you don't have it, it'll, it'll crush you because you don't have it, so. Yeah, the only thing I, you know, on that report that we're referencing, it shows a $238 garage door. I, I can't even get hardware put on the garage over 238 bucks. So right. this must be from the 80s, but the uh, reality is a most garage door, single stall garage doors are gonna be around 2,000 to $4,000 to have them delivered and installed. Then you add windows, then you add, you know, oh, I want it to look like wood, or I want it to be insulated, or I wanna have, and all of a sudden, you can spend $12,000 on a three-stall garage without mm -hmm. even thinking. I mean, but like you said, with, with a lot of the houses, the architecture we have nowadays, where the actual um, houses are garage dominant, it, it just, it absolutely needs to be addressed because when you, you know, some of these houses being built have a three-car garage and a front door. So you better make sure that front door and those garage doors, not only do they match or look like they're part of the same party, but they, they look nice from the street because that's a lot of your curb appeal. And Chris and I talk about that all the time. People will stop at the curb, um, and and the same the same problem we have. Then you need to talk to our our buddy uh, uh, with the landscaping and uh, get Pat Remick or somebody out there that knows you know how to get that house you know looking great and and get the colors in there and pull people's eyes away from the boring right. Or like when you're online and you look at the first the first sign of an ugly house is the the listing photo is not the actual front of the house. You know, it's, it's, the it's usually a giveaway. Yeah, it's usually yeah, a giveaway. Yeah, giveaway. So you might as well rip that Band-Aid off and, and show that ugly house right up front. I think sometimes people, Andy, on when you're doing those listings, um, some people make big mistakes by doing exactly what you're talking about when their house really isn't that bad, but they really have a focal point. So like, let's just, we're going to go back to your house again, and you've got a really uh, fantastic job of landscaping and ponds and, and waterfalls and all of that stuff. And, and, and it makes sense to be able to kind of, showcase that but maybe it is your first picture but you got to go right around turn right around again and you've got to uh hit that front look so people aren't thinking that there's a problem and then you can kind of go back to the other photos but if you leave that front photo out too long it people immediately have an impression no i i 100 agree i think that that uh it's 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 kind of that um it, it's not the uh i don't want to say the, the prototype but most listing agents and most consumers uh, get used to seeing things in a certain format. And so when you replicate that same format of, you know, the front of the house, the back of the house, the entryway, the kitchen, the dining, you know, whatever. And they kind of roll through that house as, as the value of, of where they see the best assets being the first couple photos. And then they, people can compare. So when you don't follow the normal format, you think, oh, we're being different. Well, being different sometimes means you're going to get looked over. Or being different sometimes means they're not going to give you a shot at, at, at the house. Now, in today's market, you could literally have a pile of lumber and, and people come out and want to uh, preview that house. 
and it's a, it's a coming soon. You know what I mean? Or under construction. And um, I got people that are standing out on these lots, like with lumber sticks laying on the ground going, where's the house? And, and that's a whole other uh, topic for another day, but. True. I get, I get uh, talked to quite a bit about that. Apparently I'm a little aggressive on my marketing. <laughs> I'm finally excited that we got this to work and they'll be able to hear the music. We're going into Rooney's rant. Ready for this. I didn't hear any music. <laughs> did you hear music, Andy? Well, yeah. Didn't you, Chris? No. Oh, yes, I did. I did. Yes. <laughs> oh, lovely. And uh, <laughs> I, it doesn't as funny as we do. We're playing. Those of you watching us that have watched us for a while, I, I see a few of you online here watching. The uh, we just switched over formats. This is this uh, new layout. So as you see, we're kind of moving around and trying the new screens. And, uh, you know, getting over the Zoom crap. I mean, my goodness, I was so tired of Zoom. Yeah. Yeah, I know. You know? It's, it's, it's going to be great. Um, you know, when I'm, I'm ranting, I have to I'm, – I'm, I'm ranting about uh, lenders. And when I'm talking about lenders, I'm talking about typically that uh, dealing with – not the lenders I deal with all the time because I've kind of uh, – obviously, I know them and I work with them and they know how I work. But uh, dealing with lenders that uh, have offers on my properties – and uh, talking to them and uh, listening to them. And I think it's very uh, interesting how people work and what they think is important and what they don't think is important. And one of the biggest things that uh, we have a problem with is that they say, hey, we're gonna keep you updated through the whole process and let you know. And what they don't, what they don't do is they don't ask you how you wanna be updated, okay? So I think that to me is so important um, in all of this real estate thing is how people communicate because uh, people trying to call, um, let's say about myself, I'm always going and going and people trying to call me unless I'm um, not in a meeting. I mean, I'm certainly going to answer, but I, I can't do it in those meetings. Then they don't leave a message and then they just want to talk in person. By the time we actually talk in person to a lender, you know, because I've got all these appointments set up, it's probably three days. So it, to me, it's like, hey, why don't you let me know? No, text me. Just text me and let me know and or follow it up with an email. If I don't get back to you, I don't get back to you because sometimes we're busy and we, we want to know about that stuff. Or you know what? I have an assistant that I work with and you can kind of follow up with, with her and make sure that they're the ones that are going to do it. But they want to talk to you and try to get a hold of you because they're trying to get your business for later on. And I think by doing what you do and doing it right, and doing it the way they want it, that's how you get that person's business. Oh. What do you think, Andy? That was kind of a, a little rant, huh? Ditto. <laughs> it is, but it's frustrating. And on offer situations, when you have 30, 40 offers on a place, you're not able to talk to every single lender. You know. So what you wanna do is that, hey, once your offer kind of makes that, that finalness, then let's do it. But if you've got you know 40 offers, and the price is 400 and your person wrote a $400,000 offer, I really don't need to talk to you because we're, we're probably not going to get too far. You know, I mean, that offer is probably lost by 50 or $70,000, but they're calling you and trying to talk to you about it. It's like, Oh geez. And you want to be nice, but uh, you just got to be a little, little smarter with that. So just so we all are crystal clear on this too, 
lenders, not all lenders are created equal and not all lenders reach out like what Chris is saying. Um, the lenders that do that are, are strategic partners with most real estate agents, right? Where they've partnered with that real estate agent, the one that you're hiring to help you buy that house. And they're basically becoming an extension of that real estate agent. Um, if you go down to the local bank or you call somebody out of the paper, um, they don't have the same strategic um, plan when they're buying a house. That's why most real estate agents do refer an agent that will do what they need to get done to get deals you know, accepted, especially in this competitive of a market. The other thing that I kind of have a pet peeve of with, with lenders is that right now the lenders, I've, I've heard this from, oh, I don't know, a couple hundred people, it seems like, that say that, oh, my lender is so busy. I was trying to refinance my house or I was trying to, you know, the local lender from the local corner, uh, you know, uh, business here. Um, they're not getting back to me because they're so busy. They're refinancing so many houses. Well, that started changing about a month ago. So these these lenders now are not doing, you know, 50 refinances a month. They're slowing down to actually having, you know, a normal uh, book of business. And they're getting back to where they have the time to do what we need them to do again. So for a while, though, I'll be honest with you, I wasn't impressed with very many lenders that were out there because of that. Um, of course, the ones that we work with, I was. But the, uh, the you know, people you've never heard of. Um, you know, missing, not being, getting back to people for days at a time because they're so, they were so busy with refinances. You know what I'm saying? Well, this one, Andy, that when they try to do the negotiating and telling you how good this client is and, and they're trying to do the selling, that's not your job. You don't have to sell. You just have to tell me if they can qualify or not and that they're a good lender. But trying to, I've had that many times like, well, what do you, what are you thinking? I mean, are they close? Do they need to go up higher? You know, where they're asking for the other agent. And it's just kind of like, you know what, I can't, I can't discuss that stuff with you. you know? oh. So anyways, that was a good, I, that's a legit rant there. So yeah, you, you, usually you I'm nice. Way. I'm usually nicer. I felt like Andy there. The next segment, we got Andy's analogy. One more chance, one more chance with this music. I think maybe because I was muted, but one more chance here. I think we got it because this is. I love this one. This is a good one. <laughs> I heard it. These are not approved by me or my team. Um, this is an attack by the Rooney family on the Prasky family. And that's my rant. No. Um, so show us some of my dialogue of what I'm complaining about. I forgot. Um, <laughs> I just have so many complaints. Buyer um, competition. Oh yeah, yeah. So this is the uh, this is some interesting facts. So a lot of people, I, I guess my big thing is I want to make sure that as you guys are entering the marketplace, that you understand what you're getting into. And so you know, buyer competition is pretty good here. But I was going to show you guys in January there is uh, 2.3 offers on average, right? Uh, to get to get a um, a number of uh, per per listing. Right now that has changed to 4.1. Um, average listings, and that was through the end of February. So as we went through March, I think that was pretty consistent. But now what's interesting is now that we're actually getting into April, um, I'm starting to see that level off again. There was a little bit of a peak for the spring market. But look at the days on market, guys. I mean, this is median. So we were at about 43. Now we're getting down to 20. I think a lot of that has to do with you know the amount of cash buyers that are out there and the amount of lenders that can quick close without having to worry about appraisals. They're getting appraisal, appraisal waivers. Um, so what I'm saying is you better have your ducks in a row because when you get out in that marketplace and you find that opportunity, you got to be moving fast. 
You got to expect to be in a competitive environment as a buyer. And that doesn't mean that you're overpaying. It just means that you're moving quicker. You have all your ducks in a row. You have your approval letters. You're fully underwritten. You're, you know what I'm saying? Your deposits are there. Everything is verified. And then when that offer goes in, maybe you're offering a little more earnest money or asking for less contingencies. And, and that, uh, that, my friends, will get you uh, a lot farther than um, showing up two days after the house listed and not having your approval letter done. And you're, well, I'll call the lender tonight and get that done for tomorrow. And you're, you're literally, when I sit in multiple offers and I've got four offers in front of me, the one that doesn't have the approval letter, bye-bye. Doesn't matter how much you offer. You're just so unprepared. I don't want to deal with you. So you think about this as a, as a, as a lending or excuse me, as a, a listing agent. Um, I want, I want to deal with people that know what they're doing. They're prepared. They're aligned with professionals. The, the lender, it doesn't hurt that we've heard of them before that we know that they have a great track record. So when you get uncle Eddie's, uh, home loans and I've never heard of them before, don't know a thing about them. I'd much rather go with a brand or a, a business that I've heard of before as well when reviewing offers. Andy, I've been watching, uh, you know, our, our dashboard on our MLS and I've got certain areas that I, I watch all the time and try to keep track of. And um, it's really been interesting watching what things have sold for and then kind of looking down and says multiple offers and things like that. <clears throat> but it, it it's really, what's really interesting, what I found is that towards the end of February and the beginning of March, so about a week on each side, that two week, that two week area is where things went absolutely crazy. Um, now, now they're starting to start closing now, uh, what happened there, but that's where these offers were out of hand. And I don't know what's happening after that because these haven't closed yet. I know what's happening from my listings and I know it's going to be coming out, but it was really interesting. But leading up to that, even as I was watching it in January and February, and we'd have some uh, houses that went over full price and, and some were a lot, 30, 40,000. But I would say half of them were either full price or less, you know, and there's a small percentage that did that. But in that in that one week, to February and March timeframe, I, I just saw one that was in Victoria that was like a 360 that sold for 489. Jeez. You know, that's $129,000. There's another one that was $85,000 over. Another one that was $70,000 over. I mean, and, and in areas, some areas that are typically, what? There's no way that that could happen, you know? So it's just kind of, uh, uh, it's, it's really interesting. And when you talk about those offers and people say, well, geez, I've been hearing there's 40 offers and Andy just told us there's 4.2. The thing that Andy's telling you though, that's every listing. You take everything across the board, that's what they're averaging. So there's a lot of listings that aren't getting that. And there might be 40 on one, and there's 20 other ones that have zero. So that's a that's a big number. I, I know how to fix that problem, Chris. How's that? My marketing system. Oh, good. wow. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, I'm not joking with you. I, I tell you what, when you are a little aggressive on your list price right now, so let's say your house yeah. is worth 400 yeah. or 425 and you list at 399 you'll get 50 people through that house instead of 10. When you have 50 people that are buyers that are hungry, that have pre-approvals that are ready to order, and they see other people, they see competition, you get the actual buyers start competing against each other. And I get better offers with better terms, better closing dates, more money, less contingencies. And, and it's all about getting that, that uh, bundle put together, getting more people through the property in the beginning phase. And then, and then they do bring those crazy offers like you're talking about. But if you, you know, do these, I call them secret pocket listings where 
the, you know, oh, hey, it's 425 and they don't market the properties and they're putting a for sale sign in the yard and they put it on the MLS, it really doesn't. <laughs> uh, weird. Um, okay. Hey, we got a comment. I wonder, who's, I wonder who's the kid that is. Yeah, exactly. Hey. Anyway. People, hey, you guys can send um, comments on the Facebook and they show up here. So that's what I just did. If you want to comment a question, throw it on the Facebook and it'll go, it'll pop right up. That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So, so anyway, so there is a difference. And I think that if you look that back in, in history here, when we can look back and analyze what, what has happened in this window of time, the, the teams or the agents that are listening that have those marketing systems in place, in place were the ones that were getting more of those crazy high offers and that are pushing the market versus the, Hey, I, I called the guy that does it for a flat fee out of the, the newspaper and he listed on the MLS and puts a sign in the yard. And, you know, th that's a whole different experience. They're not creating any demand. They're basically doing a utility for you or an admin service for you. And, man, I think you're overpaying. Some of these guys are, what are they, five grand? You're yeah. way overpaying when you pay somebody five grand to just put something on the MLS. I, you know, I, I think that's a scam. I, but I guess that's a legitimate business. But I agree, Andy. And what you're saying is that you're you're getting the emotions going from buyers. And when you do that and you create that that kind of an atmosphere, logic doesn't play into that. It plays into that's my house and I'm getting it and I'm doing whatever I got to do it to do it. I've lost five other ones and we're not losing this one. And that's yeah, I'm gonna let that Rudy guy and his buyers get this. We're getting this. Right. Exactly. Because what you did was that you had to wait for the other people to get out of the house and then you have people outside waiting for you to get out so you can go see it. And it's I, I create complete chaos. I put the mass out front, let people come through, you know, a couple at a time and <laughs> at their discretion, I give them windows of an hour. And it's funny how some people will wait outside and they stand there and they stand there. And then all of a sudden you'll see an aggressive agent and their buyers walk right up, walk right in, right past the group standing there because they don't want to wait. Yeah, that's interesting. That's what we want. Let them fight, man, because that's <laughs> then my, my, my sellers actually win when we do it that way. Yeah. Our, our last segment of the day, we got story time. This did really well a couple episodes ago. And the topic is clients from down there, bad place. So let's play our little video. What does that mean? I think he's clients from hell. We can say that on a podcast, I think. Oh. All right. Oh, no. One more time. <laughs> what do you guys? That, uh, that's, a, that's also a nice graphic. I know. Andy, do you got a story? I... I was thinking about this and uh, Nick was telling me that, hey, remember story time? And I'm like, yeah. I thought of one that I don't know if I've ever even told anyone because I think at the time I was like really embarrassed about it. But um, it's one I'm going to it's it's one I'm going to talk about because I, I never I, I don't really feel I have the clients from hell. I, do, I mean, I've, I've had right. a few probably, but um, I did. I did have one. But I want you, because the gentleman I am, I'd like you to go first. Well, you know, I, it depends on what kind of stories you want. I, I agree with you, Chris, that, you know, when when you have people referring to you, you know, you know, like I have over 50 referrals a year. I mean, and, and thank you, by the way, everybody watching that does that. Um, so we're referred from past clients. I don't ever have, you know, uh, those kind of relationships with people because it, it doesn't necessarily get there. But where I have my You did when you started. Come on, when you first started out. That's where okay. mine's coming from. Well, you know, I, I think I've told this story before. So I'll tell you a story about 
the client wasn't from hell. I was from hell. And uh, I, I literally was out there and I, I was getting uh, uh, my name uh, handed around uh, a nice car dealership. And I was helping everybody from the sales manager to the parts manager all the way through. And one of these young guys comes in there and this was, I'm, I'm like five deals into my career. And I remember we sold this house and we were over in Robbinsdale, right behind the old Terrace movie theater. Those of you old enough to remember that now, I think it's a health clinic or something, but um, they, uh, they had the old Terrace theater and we went out and we looked at this house. It was right in the price range. It was perfect. That old, you know, classic charm, early 1900 built house. Um, we go in there, we write the offer, we get it accepted and we do our inspection. Everything's great. And then we're going uh, out there to do the final, the final walkthrough. And this was a young lady that owned this house and she had three young boys and they were out in the alley and I, I just, I parked in the alley cause it, or in the driveway in the back. And, and, uh, these boys are out there just absolutely pummeling this, this refrigerator and they're jumping on it. They're hitting it with bats. They're like, our mom told us to break this into pieces. So it fits in the garbage. And I'm like, Oh, cool. Good for you guys. You know, I thought maybe it was, you know, a beer fridge in the basement or whatever. And uh, we get in the house and here the refrigerator's missing inside the kitchen. And, and all of a sudden I go, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Did, was that the refrigerator from the kitchen out in the alley taking a, taking a beating uh-huh. like you owe somebody money? And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. So my, my, my buyer comes in, and this poor young guy was so upset, he starts crying. And he's like, and I've never seen it. You know, this kid was so upset. He goes, I've got every penny into this house. I spent my last paycheck. I'm paying for the home inspection. And, and I said, surprise, I'm buying you a new refrigerator on me. <laughs> and he goes, that's the best closing gift ever. <laughs> the poor guy, it was 100% my mistake as I wrote that offer because the, the, the Board of Realtors loves to change the forms. I don't know if you guys know this, but oh, yeah. they'll change the forms every August, I think it is. And they decided for whatever reason not to have refrigerators in there. So they read through the purchase agreement. I didn't even think about it. And I didn't mention adding the refrigerator back, you know, what was this, 22 years ago or whatever it was. And so, yeah, so that was my closing gift. So that was me learning um, an expensive lesson. And then I bet you that kids referred me to, over the years, five different buyers of his. Uh, so it's been great. I mean, it was a good investment. And then yet at the same time, it's professional courtesy when, when we make a mistake to clean up the mess. Hey, we got a, we got a Facebook comment here. It's a pretty nice um, compliment. All right. For what it's worth, we worked on multiple offer situation with Chris as a seller a few years ago or a few years back. Uh, it was a surprise to me to see the offer stacked and compared. I would have thought highest price one, but knowing timelines, inspections, contingencies, had a cost two, actually sold for fewer dollars but less brain damage. <laughs> so truly, I, I, I can't agree with that yeah. more. That's a, uh, that's a smart seller too, that looked at, that looks at all of the uh, criteria before making the decision because yeah, the highest price is not always your best offer. But um, you know, because sometimes when people come in and, and pay you the highest price, well, they feel like, geez, you know what? I just paid that person the highest price. I'm gonna get them on the inspection. And then try to renegotiate. So, um, yeah, I appreciate that, Lee. That's awesome. Thank you. So, Lee is Lee is not one of my clients from that hell thing. Okay, 
But I am going to tell you about one. And this is when I was kind of first getting going. And um, I was at an open house and a guy came in and he was looking and a, kind of a, a, a dapper fella, you know, he was dressed well. He uh, looked like he kind of had it all together. We we're going through the house and he's just saying, you know what, this just is not big enough for me. And I've got no time to be looking for this stuff. And I've been doing it, but I just haven't found an agent that I like. And I really like you. So he kind of approached me and I'm like, hey, that's awesome. Let's do it, you know. So we do it. He says, well, let's, why don't we meet? Uh, and it was, this was like a Sunday and he wanted to meet right away on a Monday. And obviously I had nothing going. <laughs> so I'm like, absolutely. And uh, we met at a, at a restaurant. And so we were talking, he just kind of wanted to get to know me a little better. And, you know, we had lunch and what it, I mean, I, I mean, I'm trying to get him as a client. I'm, I purchased the lunch and uh, we decided to set up uh, some showings and he's like, okay, let's do it. Why don't we go ahead and just, we'll just meet here again and um, we'll, we'll just go from here. And so the time that we went was kind of around that whole lunch period again. So we, in the old days, we used to meet and then we'd go together in the car and we'd drive around. And then uh, usually we show up at the house and meet each other there. But we were uh, in the car together and he was talking and everything he said sounded really good. We got back. Um, he really liked one of the houses and he says, hey, let's, you want, let's talk about it. Do you got time to kind of eat? And, and I'm like, sure, let's go in there. And then I'm like, okay, well, I have to, I have to do this again. You know, I, well, I got to buy his lunch. And uh, he's like, yeah, you know, maybe maybe it's not the right one. Let's do it again. Well, this happened two, three more times after that. And uh, I'm kind of like, all right, I don't know if this guy's buying, but I'll tell you what, we're sure eating a lot of lunches. And um, the last time we do it, we're going out to look and we, again, meet there. And I said, you know what? I just don't have time. I got to go to a next appointment, you know, to be able to do it. And he goes, well, I really wanted to talk about that house. And he goes, I'll tell you what, I've got to go back to the office. Would you mind dropping off this laundry for me? He asked me to drop his laundry off <laughs> at the laundry mat. And I'm like, done. That's it. We're done. I say, you're not going to buy a house. You're just like, but he probably got five or six lunches out of me. I don't know. I, I you, Back then, I couldn't go on Facebook and try to find out who this person was. You know, he totally took advantage of me and he got five, six lunches out of me and almost got me to take his uh, laundry to the laundromat. Hey, so. uh, years, years, years ago, when I was right out of college, I worked for uh, FedEx. And, and I say that uh, it, was, it was a short-lived career. Um, and we were selling freight services, right? Yeah. And I remember the, the sales manager used to tell us that lunches are to celebrate signing new contracts. Um, and coffee is to talk about the contracts. And so to keep our expenses in line, he was like, take everybody out the coffee. You know, it's a buck 75, you know, and, and then once they yeah. sign that million dollar contract or that, that big closing, and then we go to lunch. And I think that's so true. I think that there's something to be said for that. And I, I think that there's, you know, this industry has a lot of weird expectations. There, there's a lot of people that think we make millions of dollars and, you know, thousands of dollars per deal. And it's just all profit. And it's not, I mean, this business has overhead, just like any business. And most smart business owners like yourself, Chris, take uh, a salary out of their company, just like everybody else does at a normal job. Mm -hmm. and, and so the, the reality is, is that, you know, do you really want to have a real estate agent that has to charge you 9% to sell your house so he can give you all the free stuff and all the entertainment and take you to the Twins games? Or would you rather have somebody that works their butt off and does it for a fair commission? And then, you know, you celebrate together because you both did a good job, you know? 
I'm going to bring you on listing appointments. I'm available. <laughs> I, uh... Awesome. Yeah. All right. Were those stories good enough, Dick? Not too bad. Not too bad. Well, thank you. Um, so what do we do, uh, you guys? So, you know, what, what you can see scrolling on the screen here, I think I'll jump in here. Um, so you guys, when we have this weekly show, we're on Facebook. But if you missed it or you want to share this with a family member or friend, um, feel free to go back to the podcast. Any any of the platforms you, you wish, um, from Apple to whatever, we, we put this audio version of this show up for listen and you can subscribe to those and and uh yeah it's, it's, it's much easier so they don't have to look at us <laughs> but i'll tell you what we've been kind of in the process of moving and stuff my green screen's hiding once i get a green screen screen back i'm gonna look like andy does really soon andy looks great what, what chubby and stressed out yeah they, they got green screens in italy nick um i got my white wall there you go. It's a nice white wall. Hey, we got a we got a uh, update. The big, uh, you're not gonna you're not gonna have a black eye by this time next Thursday, are you? No, I'll be in uh, Milano for the first game of the year. It'll be really exciting. No fans yet, but it's good to be traveling. I was just gonna say, I don't have a green screen, but when I can get on the road again, I'll definitely set up in a cool spot to get a a real cool view somewhere in Italy. Well, let's just say about that. You you. Do a lot of traveling uh, around. We're going to be doing our our shows from uh, Budapest and Thailand and all these other places because you're able to kind of uh, travel while playing football as well. Yeah, definitely lucked out being able to make some money online and then get the long visas doing this uh, American football overseas. But yeah, I'm hoping to bring a lot of that to this. I know we we did a video. Of you guys looking at different uh, architecture and design from different places I've been, and I think it could really maybe add some creativity to your guys's um, profession and, and, and so forth. And the listener too, you know, you can have a different kind of house. Yeah. And, and, and in those houses, I mean, that, that's really kind of the not so big um, thing that we talk about around here, Andy, the not so big house that you don't need a ton of things. And I mean, space is, uh, space is at a real, uh, I mean, when you're talking 900 square feet, like Andy was saying, how little that is, and we have to finish the basement over there, that's kind of a mansion. Yeah, 100%. Minimalism is big in, in Europe. You don't, you don't need to live above your means and whatnot, and they make it work. It's cozy. I, I enjoy it. I mean, growing up in the houses in uh, Minnesota, like the bathrooms here are the biggest difference. You're used to having a big bathroom with a, like a bathtub and, and whatnot, but here it's everything's in one little area, and the shower's like a... A rectangle. He's right next to the toilet, so you get used to it, and and you spend more time outdoors. That's what they like to do, is you know, go in the nature and, and walk around. So, yeah, they don't live in Minnesota, but I think, the winter. I think also it's coming a lot to my generation. I'm on the cutoff between a millennial and a Gen Z, and whether that's because maybe our money's not as great or there's a lot more debt for us, a lot of people are starting to do the minimalist um, lifestyle. I mean, you see van life that's taken off. And people are living in apartments till they're way older, starting families way later. So I don't know for good or bad. I like the minimalism because it's more of like a philosophy on life, like cutting all the BS out of it and focusing on what matters and what makes you happy. So it's not necessarily just getting rid of all your crap. But you know, Nick, we talk about that a lot too in real estate now. Is that you know get things that you do enjoy. Sometimes I mean, Andy does it all the time with his new construction. You know, hey, if you want your kids hanging around. 
put in the sport court. I mean, for 50, 60 grand, I mean, you've got a great place. We can um, design it and, uh, you know, engineer it that we can turn that into another space later on. Agreed. You know, I, I always do say that because it's a compromise, right? There's, you know, eventually you do have a ceiling of what your comfort level is for spending. And if, if there's more than one of you buying the house and you, you want to make sure that that everybody has a, uh, you know, um, uh, their favorite item, right? So if it's the kitchen or if it's the garage, I mean, I build a lot of Tajma garajmas and uh, where they're, you know, floor drains and heated and, you know, epoxy floors and, you know, and then we put cable TV, we finish the walls, we tape the ceilings, you know I mean? So it, it looks like you're actually in a situation where you have an absolutely stunning, um, you know, garage. It's as nice as any other part of your house. And, uh, you know, that, that, that's fun for a lot of people. Um, you know, and, and then it also extends your house. The only thing that I would say is that for parties, if they're great, um, cause it's heated and whatever. Uh, but it, it, it doesn't add as finished square footage, Nick, which I think is kind of funny because, when you when you go to that extent and you spent that much money on a garage and and it just because it has a big door shouldn't include that it's not you know it's finished it's heated it's insulated it's you know but they don't let us count in Minnesota we don't get to calculate that it's finished we had a question too but he it looks like Chris uh, left this this last little question to you directed towards you Andy uh what I like most about Chris he won't is, hear it now what's that he won't hear it now. He left. But yeah, what do you like most about Chris? Well, you know, Chris and I, the, we found each other being so different in business, but having the same philosophies and the same ethics. And so, you know, his his approach to business of, you know, um, going after different clients and how they react and how, you know, the service level is was, was so intriguing for me. And part of that is, you know, being a luxury market selling agent and or Lakeshore front, you know, selling agent. And, and focused on those items over the years. And he's got a lot of diverse background with construction and restaurant industry and all this other stuff that he brought to the table. And so to me, I think the thing that I like most about Chris was the diversity of, of what he brought to the table for us, because it was just, it's a plethora of, of things. And I think, you know, if I would speak for Chris, he jokes because I, I have a little bit more of the, I don't say the word temper, but I'm not, I, I react quicker. I'm, I'm a little more excitable. He's more even keeled. And so he gets a kick out of like when I overreact to stuff, but it's, it's passion. It's like, I have a ton of passion for what I do and what I believe in and my people. And, and I think, so that's what was interesting to him too, was like, look at this guy. And he's passionate about selling a $200,000 house in Brooklyn center as you know, you know, how do you, how do you replicate that or whatever? And so it, it was, uh, I, you know, back when we were doing our thing on CCO, um, we were kind of put together by a mutual friend and um, the, the, he said, uh, Garth, I'll, I'll never forget Garth. Garth John, he's like, hey, Chris, you got to meet this guy, Andy. He's, he's you know, running buyers around and selling these foreclosures up in the North Metro. You guys would get along great because Chris had the show first. And then um, he asked me on for a guest. Um, and, and what was so funny, I don't know if you know this or not, um, Nick, but so he invites me on as a guest and we got along great. And then the next week he calls me literally two days before the show and goes, hey, you want to come back on again? And I go, yeah. He goes, I'm out of town this weekend. So if you want to just run the show, that'd be great. <laughs> I was like, I had no experience. I, I mean, I'm a real estate agent by, you know, trade by training and everything else. I had no experience with, you know, 60,000 listeners and a microphone and a, a live cam in my face. And, 
But it, uh, it, that's what helped. Chris helps me make decisions like that. Like, just do it. Go for it. Get it done. Go. And I, 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 a lot of times, analysis paralysis, where I would sit there and think about it too much, and then to the point of where I don't get it done. So that I guess that was a lot of positive things. I that's why he and I are good buddies. Yeah, I remember going to a couple of those WCCO um, radio things, and it was it was a lot of fun. You guys and uh, Denny Long, it was a lot of jokes, a lot of laughs. But what I think I love about the podcast format is now that people can see your face, and you're not really as held back. You can kind of say what you want. So. It's yeah. it's fun. Hopefully, we get better at this whole idea, and I think streamers. Oh, was, you know, Nick, and, and I don't think people realize that, but like when you're on air and they have sponsors to protect, think about this. So all of a sudden, you have the the whatever countertop guy that's on there, and then you say, "Hey, granite," and they don't sell granite, and and all of a sudden, you know, they get a letter back to the station saying, "You guys can't talk about that. You need to promote this." So it's an authentic show. It was, but like you're saying, this way I can say whatever I want. I don't care because nobody, you know. They're not uh, paying us to do this. This is 100% voluntary, and uh, you know, and, and kind of, we just both enjoyed it so much. We kept doing it. So, so what do you got going on um, coming up? Well, I'm uh, I'm actually uh, heading to Cancun here on Monday morning, taking my whole team. Um, we actually have a kind of like a president's club, and you know, we set goals for everybody. Once they hit those goals, they can go on this trip. So, it gets a little expensive for me at times, but it's a lot of fun because. You know, people can earn their way and go for essentially for free. And and, and so I love starting myself with people that work hard and, and even more so people that like to play hard. And so that's where, um, you know, I think that ultimate combo is going to happen next week. So that's that's on my plate right now. I got a lot of friends there. I was in that area for the last six months in Cancun. Where are you staying? Um, we're actually staying down at a place called the Coral Level. Um, it's part of the Abiro Star. It's a, a, like a boutique hotel i think right on their campus but uh you know right on the the hotel zone the hotel zone right yeah because we i tell you what there's nothing better for when you only have we're doing monday through friday flying into cancun it's a three hour three and a half hour flight it's fast it's non-stop you get there you jump in the taxi and you're at your hotel in 10 minutes you're on the water with a with a drink in your hand and in minutes versus you know wandering all the way up here or over there across another ferry boat so we we consistently keep picking Cancun because of the charters, the nonstop charters, and and it's it's so attainable, you know. Yeah, I think we're they, really they built that. They built that for like like America in Mexico type atmosphere. You got everything you ever needed, but you're on the beach in Mexico. I love Isla Mujeres though. That's right next yeah. to it. You just take yeah. that little ferry over there. But yeah, you guys will have a great time. Uh, we're doing that in the middle of the week. There, uh, the crew um, set up a sailing trip, and they take you out there, and then they put you on golf carts or something. That'll be. There's a there's a virgin beach that's really famous that the last time I was there I went to. Hopefully they take you around there. It's it's pretty neat. Just crystal oh, really? clear, untouched. Yeah, beautiful. So well you guys have some fun. So are you gonna you're gonna be on next week, are you? On the oh, beach? No. If I get a good connection, I will. Um otherwise if I can't connect with you guys, I might do an experiment with you guys on Wednesday or something to see if it works. Cool. Fantastic, awesome. Another another fun episode. Oh thanks, Nick.